my microphone. How's that sound? Okay. What we're going to do today is we're going to look a little bit about the geography of the Holy Land. The geography is extremely, extremely important because, um, you know, if you don't understand geography, you really don't understand a lot of the events of the Bible. It's probably a little bit more important in the Old Testament, but there's certain aspects of the New Testament that's very important. Um, and then we're going to go, that if we have time, then we're going to sort out for you Herod. Because there's more than one Herod. In fact, there is, as you see in the Bible, there are six of them. And so Herod becomes a little bit confusing um, in, in, in the Bible. It's all, not all the same Herod. So we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later on. But um, Rich has got um, two questions. I think the first question to answer is, is between age 12 and the beginning of Jesus' ministry at his baptism, what do we know about Jesus? It's 18 years between Jesus, 18 years, he begins his ministry at age 30. So between 12 and 30, we know he's living in Nazareth. Joseph is a carpenter. Mary's his mother. That's what we know. We, we know. we know nothing else. Now, putting, I'm going to put some other things to, together. We do not see Joseph ever again after age 12. Now, typically, in a Jewish household at that time, the, the husband was quite often much older than his wife. Why? Because if I'm going to give my daughter to some man to marry, he better be able to provide for his family. So a man would have to be established um, and, and show that he could be a, a, a provider for another man's daughter, okay? So quite often, the husbands were 10 to 15 years um, older than their, their wives. Life expectancy was short back then, and so Joseph was, was and, and of course there's accidental deaths, there's disease and stuff like this, so we think Joseph is dead by the time Jesus begins his public ministry. At some point in time, Joseph dies. Now this is not, we don't know this. Now the second thing is that, and this is a little bit more controversial, is the question whether or not um, Jesus has brothers and sisters. Uh, it would appear that the best reading of the Greek for me is that he does have brothers and sisters, and two brothers especially are prominent. Now, now they would be younger than Jesus. Um, one is James. James is, becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. So it's kind of interesting, in Acts chapter 15, when Paul comes back, uh, Paul comes back after his first missionary journey, and he's opened up the gospel to the Gentiles, baptizing true Gentiles. Like, when I'm talking Gentiles, I'm talking Zeus worshipers now. And that's this tremendous chapter of Acts chapter 13. And this, and, and of course, this little, one of my soapboxes, by the way, um, is the question of, of or the, the, the significance of Acts 13. Prior to Acts 13, you do not see conversion of totally pagan Gentiles. The God-fearers um, and, and or proselytes, and then, of course, you have the separate group called Samaritans in Acts chapter 9. But Acts chapter 13, now you have the Zeus worshipers converting to Jesus. Um, I would imagine that most of your relatives at one time were some sort of polytheist, right? Way back when in Germany, England, Scandinavia, some of this, because that's all they had, right? And so that the gospel goes to polytheists or animists or ancestor worshipers of some sort, 
This is a huge leap. So Acts 13 is actually very important. But the question is, what do we do with these Gentiles? Do they now have to obey all the Jewish traditions, right? So Acts 15, they have a council, and they bring this question to the church of Jerusalem. The one in charge of the council who speaks authoritatively is not Peter. James or, it, well, it can't be James, excuse me, James is dead. The other, other James, the, the, the Peter, James, and John, he dies in, in Acts chapter 12. He's martyred. So the James of Acts chapter 15 is Jesus' half-brother. Okay, that's what, and he also writes the, the epistle to James. Likewise, there's another one, Jude, who writes the epistle to Jude. So the two half-brothers of Jesus, James and Jude. Yes, Dave, question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were not believing in his ministry, no. Because the great question throughout all the Gospels, the question is, is how much were his brothers believing him? It does, actually, it appears from the text that they're thinking he's crazy. We've got to take you home. You know, what, what, what is this silliness that you're doing? So, so that's, that's something. And so, okay, so, so that's about all I can tell you definitively between 12 and, and 30. Now, but we have to ask the question, what do we need? You know, in, in the Gospel of John, John ends his gospel saying, you know, if we wrote down everything about the ministry of Jesus, we fill all the books in the world, right? You know, you could write so many things, and, and maybe some of you have seen exhaustive biographies. I have on my shelf a three-volume biography of Martin Luther, and each volume is probably six, seven hundred pages long. That's a lot of pages, right? The Gospels are much shorter and they're much more germane. In fact, if you go to the Gospel of Mark, it, Mark 1, 1. Um, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark 1, 2. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Then immediately you're, you're in the ministry of John the Baptist. There's nothing before age 30 in, in the Gospel of Mark. And there's relatively little with, with, the, with the other Gospels. Let me just rehearse one more time the kind of the chronology. If you put Matthew and and Luke together. Jesus is born. Shepherds, angels, manger. Day one. Eight days old, Jesus is circumcised, and that's when he's given his name. So legally, he's not Jesus until eight days old, the circumcision, because he is now identifying as the Savior of the world according to the promises given in the Old Testament, and so you have to be circumcised according to the Old Testament, right? Forty days old, brought to the temple presentation, Anna and Simeon. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. Sometime later, when they're living in their own house, magi from the east come. Jesus conceivably could be two and a half years old because Herod wants all young boys, Paideia, right? Paideia, killed, two years old and younger. Jesus flees then to Egypt. At some point in time, he goes from Egypt back to Nazareth because another Herod, not, the, uh, not King Herod of the, of the, who wanted to kill him in Matthew 2, but his son is now reigning over, over the Jerusalem area, and so Jesus goes up to Nazareth. Age 12, goes down to the temple according to habit to the Passover. They're pious Jews, which is good. 
And then age 30, he's baptized in the Jordan River. And John the Baptist is, always precedes him. So John the Baptist is born six months ahead of time, and his ministry begins ahead of Jesus' baptism. Okay, yes? Wisdom and stature. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And by the way, in, in Jewish culture, 12 is a very important age because you're on the threshold of becoming recognized as a man. You'd have your bar mitzvah at age 13 or 14, okay? Which means the son of the mitzvah, a son of the law, a son of commandment. A bar is, a, bar is an Aramaic word and the Hebrew would be Ben. So it's like, see, Benjamin, or, or the famous movie Ben-Hur, that's, that's Hebrew, Bar, would be Aramaic. So Bar Mitzvah is, is the son of the covenant. Okay, that, and so Jesus at age 12 is, is on the cusp of, of, being, of being considered an adult Jewish male, but he continues on, doesn't begin his ministry until he's 30, because that's the day, that's the age when you begin your, as a rabbi. You don't see rabbis underneath the age of 30. So Jesus will be later called by many a uh, rabbi, right? Okay. So okay. So that's one question. So so and then so now we have another question regarding the Book of Romans. State, restate the question. Well, Romans is one of our readings today. Yes. You know, it's the first uh, gospel apocryphal book. Yes. Romans is one of the No. 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 The, that's a great question. Great question. Yeah. Who received this letter? Yeah. 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 Right. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so the, the question that, by the way, this is, a, this is a question we have to answer for a New Testament background. The reason the epistles are in the order that they are in is is Paul's epistles are first and they're arranged by size okay size size now now it doesn't quite work out that way because the because if you look at it then then the pastoral epistles for example um you know it's, it's a little quibbling with with, with a couple of the order but essentially it's size and so and so Romans first Corinthians both are 16 chapters Second Corinthians has, has got uh, 13 chapters, and then Galatians and Ephesians have six chapters, six chapters each. So it's, it's, it's by size, okay? Now, First Thessalonians does also, has five chapters, so it's a little bit not quite by size, but each chapter is rather short, so it's relatively by size, okay? So um, if you, the two epistles that are thought to be the earliest would either be First Thessalonians or Galatians. Okay, very, very early epistles. And 2 Thessalonians also be relatively early, having to do with the first missionary journey. Um, but probably of those two, Galatians is, is probably the first epistle. It's a whole other issue. Now, now in Rome, Rome is a, is a later epistle. And Rome is unique. The book of Romans is unique because Paul, when he writes the, the epistle to Romans, has not yet been there personally. Other epistles, he, he knows these people personally. He knows some, of, he knows some people in Rome personally because of travel in the church but it's a later epistle um he writes it probably um i don't want to date say 59 or 60 i think 58 is possible date for romans 
So it's a later on. And he writes it to, to those who are in Rome, the beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so it's, it's Christians in Rome. Now we do know that there were Jews from Rome at Pentecost, baptized, and so, and so they would have gone back and brought the gospel back to Rome. So there would have been Christians in Rome and other people would have traveled to Rome because of the nature of it. The exact nature of the Roman congregation that Paul's writing to is a very, very difficult question. Maybe we'll tackle that question a little bit later on if we have time. But, uh, but it's, uh, it's, in other words, I, 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 told, I told Rich, that's the exact audience of the, of, the, of the Epistle to Romans is where you get your Ph.D. topic from. I mean, just about. You saw, literally, a ton of ink has been spilled on that. And the theories of the structure of Rome, of the book of Romans, um, like, the, like other things. I mean, this is just something I remember from uh, my, 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 my studies, is that the background of Romans, and, and there are actually extremely oh, disparate interpretations. And, and when you get in the book of Romans, there's a lot, a lot of difficulties as far as, you know, who exactly, you know, is Paul addressing? Because when... We don't have a video camera right there. We don't. We don't have a date exactly. It's just a little bit difficult. So, okay. These are great questions. By the way, this class is designed for a question. It's like, Pastor, I've always wondered this about the New Testament. Okay, so you're, you're more than welcome to, to ask such questions. And that way it saves me from, from making a fool of myself because I don't know the Herods as well as I should. No, I'm just kidding. So let's, let's look at this. So let's talk about the geography of the Holy Land. Okay. So... <clears throat> By the way, there's this marvelous passage in the, um, there's this marvelous passage that, that I'm going to take a little bit of a license with it because it's not the prime usage of the passage, but in Galatians chapter 4, if you want to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, um, 4, 4, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time. Um, I'm beg, borrowing, stealing, especially from uh, um, uh, Dr. Paul Meyer, um, the fullness of time. Jesus, if you look historically, was born at a marvelous time in, in history, okay? Marvelous time in history. Um, to an extent, um, Judaism was in, in crisis at this time. Um, 587 BC, Babylon conquers Jerusalem. This temple is destroyed. Now the temple gets rebuilt, 515. However, there is no longer King David, right? 587. So, so by the time Jesus begins his earthly ministry, it's over 600 years since King David has been on the throne in Jerusalem. That's a long time. Judaism's in crisis. What do we do with all this? The Jews have scattered the ancient world. What do we do with all this? I mean, it's, 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 it's and now you've got different factions. We talked about Sadducees and Pharisees. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's tough. It's tough when, when, when Rome is ruling everything and, and, and it's a very tough time. The pagan world is in crisis also. The, 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 although there is oftentimes still a fervent belief in some of these polytheistic gods and goddesses, right? There is at the same time a waning of that um, because it, 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 that's kind of tired. And, and you, you have mystery religions, like Mithraism and stuff, this arising. You have a fascination 
just like you see this in the bored Western culture, you know, the, the bored United States, when, when people are bored in the United States of, of their, of their secular, uh, secular, secular faith, basically the search for money and material, where are they looking? Are they looking specifically, quite often, to Christianity? No, they look to Eastern religions, right? You know, remember the Beatles? What do the Beatles do? They look to Eastern religions, right? And so you see all this, a lot of new age of incorporation of the new age th thinking is a lot of Eastern religions. At the time of Jesus, when Jesus comes into the world, Romans who are bored and also frustrated and, and stuff of like this would oftentimes they were looking to the East and there's a, there's a large influence of Eastern religions into the Roman Empire. It's, it's kind of a, the, the, you know, okay, I don't want you to study it, but it's, but it's happening. There's a lot of boredom with, with whatever's going on. You even remember Paul and, and, and when he goes to Athens in Acts chapter 17, they even have a statue with, to the what? Unknown God. It's fascinating to the unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you about this unknown God. And by the way, he's the only God. And he rose from the dead. Whoa. Okay, so, so it creates all sorts of controversy there. So, um, so, so there's photos of time. And then you add the geography. If you look, you know, where is the Holy Land? Where's the Holy Land? You know, you got Africa, south and west. You got, you got Europe, north and west. And you have Asia expanding to the east. And the Holy Land is at a very crucial place in the world. And it's been and so crucial because if you, if you time, okay, for example, Alexander the Great conquers, he goes east, right? And he goes all the way to the Indus River Valley. But Rome, mainly it goes east a little bit. And as far as Syria, and, and, and this is about as east as it gets. You know, you got Asia Minor and stuff like this and, and Egypt, but this is about as east as it gets. But Rome goes west, all the way to the Rock of Gibraltar, all of northern Africa, and then Julius Caesar had gone into Britain, and he had, and, but he retreats, but later on, Rome will even go into, into Britain and build Hadrian's Wall up there. So, so if, you, if you put those two together, west all the way to, to, to the Iberian Peninsula, all the way to Indus Valley, we see this, you know, kind of this confluence of, of all this together, and, and if you were to put a pin close to the center of all that, where would it be? The Holy Land, right? And, and then, and hence this question, I think I've already told you this, you know, the confirmation question uh, many years ago, why are there no, uh, this is many, this is 30 years ago, why are there no blacks in the Bible? And I shot back immediately, why are there no whites in the Bible? I mean, of course, this concept of black and white, this is, it's a ridiculous concept. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, people in the ancient world wouldn't have never thought about in terms of black and white. You know, I mean, basically, those, those, those other people are whoever my people aren't, right? You know, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a Jew, those Greeks, right? You know, if, I, if I'm a native Roman from a senatorial family, I got nothing but pagans all over, barbarians all over the place, right? You know, I mean, you know, and, and one Germanic tribe would war with another Germanic tribe. You know, the, all Gaul, might be divided in three parts, but not all Gauls get along with each other. That's the modern in France. So this concept of race is a, is a ridiculous concept biblically. So it's a, so, um, so the time of Jesus, it's a kind of confluence. So the fullness of time, both historically and geographically, the Holy Land matters. Okay, so commercial for the geography of Israel. Okay, any questions, comments so far? Okay, pastor needs more caffeine, so. Actually, it's decaf I'm drinking now, so. Okay, so what you have right here, 
Israel is a long, narrow place, but it's not that big of a place. It's rather small. I can't, I, you know, I don't have a map putting the, the country of Israel on top of, uh, on top of things. But using modern highways now, it's, it's like 45-minute drive from the coast to Jerusalem, modern highways. It's about a two-hour drive up and down. It's, it's, it's not, much of a, not, not much of a place. But the best way of looking at Israel is, is we're, we typically look at geography, which way? North to south, right? The best way when, and, and, and this is actually where um, Pastor Bruzik put me onto it, you know, because he did it after SEM 2, I did it after SEM 4. And then the tremendous bonus of all this is that uh, I actually met Amy. We, we met studying geography of the Bible in Israel. You know, so how do you meet a blonde Lutheran Nor- Norwegian girl from the Twin Cities? Just go to Israel and study geography. So, so that's, how we, that's how we met, was that, and, and the school. But one key thing they told us, don't look north-south, look, turn on his, on his face, right? You, you, you look at it this way. And so, so, but you can keep it up and down. So the, the key thing is going, is you have a coastal plain and coastal plain is tremendous for running caravans because you have, where's the Holy Land situated? Between the, the Tigris and the Euphrates River Valley and the Nile River. And those people would not trade with each other, right? And they got to go through, and so you got this, this, you got this, uh, you got this coastal plain, and so the caravans of the world would be, would, would be coming right down the coastal plain. Then you move in a little bit further, you, you have low kind of, rolling hills, because Shephelah, okay? Um, then you run into highlands, you know, kind of very rugged ter- terrain, and that's where Jerusalem's at, these Judean highlands, so it's, it's rather mountainous, it's really rugged, and you can't just travel easily, you have to, the roads actually have to follow the top of the ridge lines, and then it falls off, because you go to the bottom of the world. What's the lowest point in the whole world? The Dead Sea, boom! You go down, was it 1,300 feet below sea level? Dead Sea, it's kind of interesting. Yes, you could just sit there and read your newspaper in the Dead Sea. It's, it's impossible to, I mean, it's, you, you sit there, but you gotta, but they have showers. As soon as you get out of the Dead Sea, you wanna shower off, because it's, it's, it's caustic. I mean, I, I swam in the Dead Sea, but it's, it is about the most miserable place in the whole planet, because you're 1,300 feet above sea level, and, and, there's, and it's arid, it just is the nastiest, Place. I mean, it's just very because it's and, and the water is, is, is so heavy because of all the minerals deposited over the thousands of years coming down. There's nowhere for it to go. Then it evaporates and then just it gets now. Now they have been extracting a lot of the minerals industrially for, for years now. But the Dead Sea. So this is the Rift Valley. And then it immediately goes up. And then you have this um, eastern mountain range right right there where you see like Pella. And, and, and Philadelphia and Perea on, on, uh, on the other side of the Jordan Valley, okay? Okay, so that's kind of how, how it goes. Now, I, I don't even want to go into the Old Testament, how this plays in history, but, but this is kind of how, how it goes. Now, moving then, and then from the north to the south, the northern part of Israel is actually going to have a much, much more moderate climate. Their rainy season, you know, all of Israel has a rainy and a dry season, but the rainy season in the northern part delivers a lot more rain, it's a lot more moderate. Because by the time you get much south of Jerusalem, you're in the, in the Negev and the Arabah, which is a very desert area. Okay, and, and, uh, and, uh, and that plays into a lot of text. And so, so hence, um, so, 
So if you remember the story, this is an Old Testament story. Elijah defeats on Mount Tabor um, the, the prophets of Baal, right? It's way up in Israel, the northern part. And how many does he kill? 400 prophets of Baal, right? Yeah, God shows them, altar burned up, water burned up, sacrifice burned up, prophets of Baal dead, everything's good, right? And what's Jezebel's reaction? What happened to those prophets is going to happen to you. Elijah collapses. He gives up. So he flees Israel, goes into Judah, then he goes all the way to the southern part of Judah, into the Arabah, and he just says, I just want to die, Lord. And so if you, if you understand this, this area, it is a nasty area. It's a very hot and dry area, very, very much a, a, a desert area. You know, once in a while, they get a little bit of rain. The north, though, I mean, like we were there in June, you could see like in the northern, especially you get the, the, the plain of, of um, uh, just south, you, you, there's this plain area. It's hard to see right, right here. Um, outside of Dor and Sisophilus, out, out there, there's a, there's a plain area. And boy, it's tremendous cropland. And a little bit north of the Sea of Galilee, some tremendous cropland. And, and they get adequate rains, and it's really lush, and, and it can grow a lot of good crops. But further south, so, so more rain north, less rain south, okay? There you have the Sea of Galilee, or Gennesaret, I mean, it depends when you look at it. And then you have all the way down at the Jordan River. And the Jordan River, at times, rather small, other times, very, very swollen, depending on whether it's the rainy or the dry season. Okay, am I talking too fast now? Okay, okay, so, so then you see in the blow-up right here, Galilee, Galilee, and it's, and it's Galilee, and, and two things, Galilee is much closer to these trading routes. Okay, so, so there would be greater temptation Galilee to, to be influenced by, by Hellenism than, than Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the Hellenistic problem, is, is a political problem because you want to curry favor with Rome and or any Eastern powers that, that you might want to make money from. Galilee is much more, you, you have the possibility of the trading routes going by, but Galilee is also more primitive. The Jews in Galilee are much more primitive. So, uh, so, so the Jews in Jerusalem would look at the Jews in Galilee and, down on them, right? Okay. Um, there's a, many, many years ago, somebody wrote the, the Gospels. They said it in the state of Georgia. Okay. And then, uh, and so Jesus was no longer, they turned it on its head. You know, so Atlanta became Jerusalem, right? And so they turned the state, you know, the geography upside down because Jerusalem is south of, of Nazareth, right? So they turned the geography. And so you had to have Jesus of Valdosta. You know, so it's so, a, um, but Baras has actually grown up, you know, I mean, uh, um, you know, um, and so, uh, oh, I can't remember. Uh, um, um, my neighbor down the street growing up in Georgia was from Adel, Georgia. And where's Adel? Halfway between Tifton and Valdosta. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. It's kind of like explaining somebody in Illinois, where, where's Lisbon, you know, I mean, or it's, it's, uh, some of you might know where Lisbon is. Does anyone know where Lisbon is? Some, some oh, the, yeah, yeah, Lisbon is... Yeah, it's, not, it's yeah, but I, Lisbon's a three-stone town. You know, that's where my grandma lived before she passed away. My aunt, three, you know, one, two, three tosses, and you're out of there, right? And so Nazareth would have been like a three-stone town. I mean, it was, Nazareth was very small. And even today, we spent no time in Nazareth because Nazareth, there's not much left there archaeologically. And so, and now, now especially now, Nazareth would be more difficult now because of some of the, the Palestinian issues 
When I was there in 1985, those, those issues weren't as great, although it's kind of interesting being, uh, we were in Galilee at the exact same time as, remember, that it was in Beirut, they'd, they'd hijacked the TWA flight and shot the pilot. We, we were actually in Galilee at that time, and so there's a little bit of heightened security around us, so, so uh, it was kind of, kind of interesting. So, so, anyway, so, so in Galilee, you got a little blow up here, some of the places of, of, of the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus does his ministry, Maybe the exact opposite that you would think of, 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 of the Son of God doing his ministry. If you're going to be a Jew, at least do your ministry in Jerusalem, right? No. You know, so he chooses all these little places. By the way, you see on the Sea of Galilee, uh, a little place called Magadon. If you look at some Greek manuscripts, they would, the, the other Greek manuscripts called Magdala, where Mary Magdalene would, would be from. Okay, so that's where Mary Magdalene... Jesus sets up his earthly ministry, his kind of his home base is Capernaum. There you see Chorazim. So he goes back and forth across the Sea of Galilee uh, right there. And there's Tiberias. And there you see Nazareth. Nazareth is kind of a, a, an off-the-way place. You've got to go up some ridges to go to Nazareth. So, so um, from Nazareth, you could travel to where the, the caravan routes were. But Nazareth's a little bit hidden away, and that's where Jesus grows up at. So can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, and, and yes, something good can come out of Nazareth. Okay, so I, I don't know what to say else. I mean, you have the Decapolis right here, which is, which is probably closer where Jesus feeds the 4,000. Um, and, and, and so you would have had more Gentile influence the Decapolis because it's a Greek word for 10 cities right there, even though they don't list... And you see other names of, of places right there. Um, and by the way, at the bottom you see Idumea, right? Idumea. Herod is an Idumean. But Old Testament, it would be Edom. Edom, E-D-O-M, right? And so, and so what you... It's hard to explain, but, but real simply, what, what's important about... To understand biblical languages is, 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 is don't look at the verbs, uh, at the vowels, look at the consonants. If you look at the consonants, then you can understand how things, how things change. So, for example, the best example I can give you is, is in the Old Testament, the, 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 the man anointed by God to lead the people of Israel into the Promised Land is Joshua. The man anointed by God, because he's also the Son of God, anointed by God in the Jordan River at his baptism to carry out the ministry of salvation of the whole world, is named Joshua. We call him Jesus, right? It's the same name, because, you, because the, 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 there is no S-H in Greek. So you change the S-H to an S. And then the last S of Jesus just is a... Is, it's an inflected language Greek is, and so that's, that's a nominative. So anybody who had Latin and stuff of like this, you understand nominative. So that's, because if you're addressing him, you wouldn't call him Jesus, you'd call Jesu, right? Because evocative. But Jesus would be Jesus' name. So they're the same name. So Idumea, Edom, same name, okay? So, okay, I don't know what else to do. Any questions about Bible questions, geography questions? Have I bored you enough? Or is this all good? Yes, Dominic, yes. No, no, no. The, the population of, of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, you ask a really good question, and, the, and it's probably been since 2001, since I last looked that up. So it's a, um, 
I'm going to give you just the, from, the, from what comes to my mind, maybe 40 or 50,000, okay, at the time of Jesus, maybe even, maybe 30. Now, during Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles, it swells to well over 100,000, which is, creates a lot of problems, obviously, um, both in terms, that's one reason why, why Pontius Pilate is in Jerusalem for Passover because there's greater chance of, of shenanigans going on because he doesn't trust the Jews, right? So, so, so if you look at the map, um, on the coast is Caesarea. That's where Pontius Pilate normally is. And by the way, it's, it's called Caesarea Maritima because way up north you have a Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Maritima, we're on, I just had to throw this out because many people doubt scripture, right? And so, so for you know, a lot of these German scholars, and I, I'm half German, so I can rail into these German scholars, you know. I, I can, I, I, it take me about a week to just get started railing on German scholars who just tried to destroy the faith. It take me to get started, because you, you just start naming off these, all these German scholars. But anyways, so these German scholars, they, they doubt, there's no such person as Pontius Pilate, right? Well, you, you, we dig up, and especially in Caesarea Maritima, had to do a lot of archaeological digging underwater in the port. And then we dig up, and I don't know whether it's in, on, on ground or some of this, you dig up a, a big old slab of stone. And the stone says, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. Right in the stone. Well, so much for doubting that scripture passage. So Pontius Pilate would have traveled from Jerusalem to, from Caesarea to Jerusalem during the High Holy Days. And by the way, this is very helpful for you to know. And it might be, you know, if I continue this class, I might actually go in and do this a little bit more. Is that, is that there's three pilgrimage festivals from the Old Testament, so now three pilgrimage festivals in which especially Jewish males would attempt to be in Jerusalem for these holy days. Passover, we know Passover, right? Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, and then Tabernacles. Tabernacles, tabernacles will pay a special uh, uh, prominent part in, in, the, in the book of uh, John. John, but we don't want to go into the story right now, but that, that's it. So, so going back, Lance's question, my, my best guess, between 30 and 50,000, but it's, it's a guess. If you text me or somebody like this immediately, and then I, I will look up, you know, in, in, I, I have several volumes on Jerusalem and the life of Jesus, and, and I can find out. Yes, or do you have that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the old city... Yeah, yeah, and, and, and then, of course, the walls have changed because, uh, because we know that Jesus, for example, was crucified outside the walls. But then they rebuilt the walls so that the traditional site of the crucifixion would be inside the walls. But we dig up further, we discover, no, those, those further walls were built later on. So you have something called Gordon's Tomb versus the traditional site of the Holy Sepulchre, which is inside the walls, and, um, and, and, and that's fascinating. One of the things I'm planning on doing, again, uh, if, I, if at time, is that in Jerusalem itself, there is a scale model of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Has anyone ever been to Israel, seen this thing? At the time when I was, when I was in Israel, where is it at now? Is it the King David Hotel when I was there? I think they moved it, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, David City. So Jerusalem's a fascinating place. Okay. So, well, I've got nine minutes here. So, any other questions, comments? I mean, you can ask Bible questions. We've talked about Romans and stuff like this, because I do want to go into this confusing thing of Herod this and Herod that, right? And, uh, um, by the way, I did not write, before I get into Herod, is, uh, is uh, so how do Idumeans come to be king and build a temple? Well, it's a little bit complicated. Um, Herod's father, Herod the Great, he's called Herod the Great because, I mean, he was very powerful. Herod's great father was a man named Antipater, okay? And he was Idumean, but he was a close advisor, and, and he allied himself with one, we talked about the Maccabeans, with a certain Maccabean named Hyrcanus, and then he was very wise, and he saw where the ancient world was heading, and he became close friends with a noted Roman named Julius Caesar. Okay, and so um, and before, and then also another Roman named Pompey. And so, using their muscle, now they were able to extend and and really take over this whole area and then he becomes really in, in fact the puppet ruler the uh, Hyrcanus becomes a puppet Antipater is the real ruler and then his son is conferred the right to be king over this area and that's Herod the the so-called great now uh, he's the one in the bible he rules from 37 to 4 BC um, and he's the guy in the Christmas story if you see this he's answerable to Rome now Herod is slick he, he's slick because, um, so after Caesar dies, Caesar assassinated, right? Okay, so it's first Pompey, then Caesar. After Caesar assassinated, Herod associates himself with Cassius. Well, how does that work out for Cassius? Because he opposes Cassius and Mark Antony. Uh, uh, they oppose Octavian, and that doesn't work out too good, because Octavian takes over. And Herod, he just says, he plays the honesty card. Of all things, Herod playing the honesty card. So it's a, um, but he says, I was loyal to Cassius. Yes, indeed, I was. Because I'm loyal to Rome. And now that you're the head of Rome, dear Octavian, most august one, Augustus be, thus, I will be loyal to you, and I pledge you my full support as, as you are head of all of Rome now. So, it, I mean, he's slick. And so Herod, so Augustus trusts him, and so he gets this, vast territory and his vast territory is very big territory and Herod is a builder oh man he builds a temple and if you if you go see all you see now is the is what we call the wailing wall in, in Jerusalem right now is actually a, a, a Herod extended out the old base where the first and second temples would have been because he wants to build this big magnificent temple so he has to build a retaining wall otherwise the temples will slide down the down down the slope right so he builds this huge retaining wall and, and, it, and you read, I remember reading an article in, I think, Biblical Archaeological Review, how they did this, found quarries nearby. The stones at the base of the retaining wall, some of them are 200 tons. How do you move without mechanical devices 200 tons? Well, they did it. They quartered them nearby, and they moved them, and he builds this, and they builds the temple on top, most magnificent temple in the ancient world. Herod's temple is big, it's magnificent, but he doesn't stop there. He builds, you know, 
Caesarea Maritima. He builds a place down south. You might have heard about Masada, right? Uh, he builds um, the Herodium, uh, also south, not as far south as Masada. He builds in, in Jerusalem palaces. He, he, he builds a place, um, and notice because of time, that he dedicates the first one for the Romans to Mark Antony. It's called the Antonia Fortress. But then, of course, later on, he, he, he obviously lets any Roman use it. So, so all over, and there's many other places, he builds amphitheaters. Um, and, and by the way, Caesarea Maritima, he builds an artificial harbor. And, and Herod's a genius, stuff like this. And obviously, he's also ruthless. If you read Josephus, you'll see how ruthless Herod is. Uh, for example, his multiple wives, his favorite wife, though he gets jealous, he, he thinks he's, he's plotting, so boom, you're gone, you're gone. His two favorite sons, boom, you're gone, you're gone. So, so that, that Herod would kill two-year-old boys, <laughs> this is, uh, wipe the dust off my hands, you know, what, what's, what's the big deal? You know, so, so this little Bethlehem incident is really nothing, but it actually is for, for, for us. So that's Herod, he dies in 4 B.C., which creates a problem, right? Because what year is Jesus supposed to be born in? <laughs> Not four, one, 1 A.D. So, so um, a guy named Exegus, uh, Dionysus Exegus is the guy who tried to figure out a whole new calendar for us. And you've got to date the birth of Jesus. And so he was close, but not quite. So, so you date, there, there's, a, there's a, actually a lot of controversy how to date the, the, the date of Jesus' birth. Um, and it's a little bit difficult and, and it's way beyond my pay scale. And I, I think I should stick to preaching the word and ministering the sacraments because that's a, it's a little bit tough. So just su- suffice it that, that Herod dies and then his son takes over, Herod Archelaus, and, and he's, uh, um, he's ruling. Let's, let's avoid him, though, because he's the son of Herod. So that's why they moved to Nazareth, okay? And then you have Herod Antipas. It's called the Fox by Jesus. And he receives a quarter of his father's territory. And by the way, you notice that, um, he, that, that things are broken up. Why? Because the Romans do not trust Herod, Herod's family. They, the Romans, they rewarded Herod, but this guy got, had a little bit too much power. They, Rome does not like to lose territories. They don't like rebellion, so they, they, they break it up. So you have Herod Antipas right here, and he divorces his first wife and marries Herodias, and Herodias has a daughter from his previous marriage, and who kills has John the Baptist's head put on a silver platter. Okay, and Herod Philip is actually the one who had been married. Um, um, I think Philip is the one who had been married to Herodias at first, but he ends up marrying his niece, the daughter of Herodias. Maybe that's not him. I don't know. Um, then Herod Agrippa, who rules, and he's the grandson. He's the one who kills James and puts Peter in prison. And he dies a horrible death in Acts chapter 12. So that's the grandson, right? It's Herod Agrippa I, and then you have Herod Agrippa II. Um, and so he's a great-grandson of Herod the Great. He rules over a large territory, and he interviews Paul in Acts chapter 25. Okay, At the bottom of the sheet... You have uh, Chris's story, who, who these Herods are. And on this other sheet, you have a color-coded thing where you can see all the relationships of all the Herods and stuff like this. You can see who the wife was that was killed. And, um, and that's Mariamne. And then um, Mouthface, who's the one who um, was heir to Herod Archelaus. And it's very confusing. 
But I just want to show you multiple Herods. Yes, Rich. I don't know. I, I, yeah, that's surprising. I didn't know that. It's, it's, by the way, it's, it's in London, it's Herod, H-O-R, but this Herod's? I, I had no idea who would, who would name anything. Because, you, you know, in the list of history, you know, right now, um, I don't know too many baby boys have ever been named Herod ever since this time in, in the West. And I don't know, I mean, just like now, I mean, you, you uh, um, um, there's a lot of names that you try to avoid you know, because they're, they're associated with evil, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing is, since 1045, I, I have to get in there and set up for communion. I, I do remember when being in Jerusalem, they did not have McDonald's yet, so they did have McDavid's. And so <laughs> they had a hamburger at McDavid's. So it's a, um, but, 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 but generally speaking, I, I tried to eat native food when I was there, but you still have to watch out because um, not, the sanitary practices are not quite the same, especially when you walk through the old city of Jerusalem. So, okay. Oh, wow, okay, okay. <coughs> Discount at King Harris Hotel. Okay, okay, so, 